Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, this won't be like a true instant reaction podcast, but it'll certainly be uh, focused on on one main area of focus, and that is the idea that the Big Ten officially came out today with a conference-only schedule. Uh, it appears as though the ACC is on the premises of doing that, so we're going to discuss the, what that'll look like. Again, uh, there's a lot of different questions that we have. There's a lot of different subject matter that we kind of had on our sheet uh, to do in general, but this will be a pretty focused pod and we should have something out in the next uh, three to four days that's a little more of a broader look at where Florida State is um, and kind of your more traditional cast. But with that, we'll thank the people at New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, the title sponsor of the cast, and the people who make uh, the cast possible. Bud, uh, let's go ahead and jump into what will be an interesting conversation, no doubt. Indeed it will. So uh, today... We had some really interesting news from the Big Ten about uh, probably about four o'clock today, and it will, I guess, it was actually bro- broken by uh, Nicole Auerbach and, and a couple other people uh, soon followed. But they reported that the Big Ten uh, would be going to a conference-only schedule, uh, and that they would be playing their football in the fall. Uh, but Ohio State at, at Oregon, done. Michigan at Washington, not happening. Wisconsin Notre Dame, nope, and on, on down the line. Uh, and so that's that's pretty big news that th- that they did it didn't catch other conferences off guard. Our Brandon Marcello reported it twenty four seven. However, that they announced it today uh, d- definitely caught some people in, in those conferences off guard. Uh, but it's been clear that uh, playing the conference only season was one of their uh, options that most of these leagues have been discussing uh, because Ingram reports quickly followed. Uh, that the uh, Pac-12 and the ACC would do the same. Specifically, the report here from uh, Brett McMurphy uh, of Stadium and then followed uh, by Bruce Feldman, who is the Athletic and I think Fox Sports as well for broadcast stuff. So looks like the ACC is going to be playing conference-only games, uh, which is pretty pretty meaningful. Now, the ACC has not put out there anything officially about this, but we do expect them to announce that you know, in the next couple of days, if you know those guys like McMurphy and Feldman, they they're pretty good at what they do. Really, the only league that we're not 100 percent sure is going to do this at this point probably is the SEC. And yet, I still think that's probably going to happen for them too, because like they're in the most COVID hotspot area of the country right now for the most part, and the league that is in an area that kind of has a handle on COVID decided that, that it's dangerous enough they need to go ahead and play conference-only games. That was interesting, man. What, what uh, Did it take you off guard? That's, that's kind of the bombshell. It took, it took me a little bit off guard. I mean, as I see this, this is um, – and you and, you and I may have a little bit of a different opinion on this. I also think some of the message around this has been kind of warped. But, you know, like the domino theory of the Ivy League. I don't think anybody thinks that once the guys on Harvard Yard announce that they're not playing ball, that the people in Athens and Tuscaloosa put their hands up at the same time. But once you start to see these things happening, then yeah, you can very much see uh, a, a series of dominoes that tip over to lead us not having college football. To an extent, I think this is an extent to kind of try to put a little bit of space in between those dominoes. I also think that there's some practicality for some conferences to doing this uh, from the one that Florida State happens to be in. Uh, it's not as though you're kind of geographically limiting travel. Uh, it just means that 
the programs that you play against are going to have a much more uniform level of resources to deal with COVID, test uh, with COVID, and that everybody will be playing a little bit more on a level playing field when it comes to that. You're not, you know, when you're in the ACC, you're certainly not putting yourself in singular geographic areas of the United States by doing this. I don't, I don't think that's the, uh, and you know, the, the expectation, at least for this conference anyway. When we talk to people at our conferences, the, the react, like I, I very much was kind of of the belief that like a lot of these school presidents would not get bullied, but, but probably peer pressured into, uh, into doing this by, by, by the Ivy leagues. Cause like a lot of these school presidents see their schools, uh, on the same level as as the Ivies, right? And we specifically talked about some schools in the ACC who are very good academic institutions who probably see themselves on that level and, and what those school presidents might do. And they, they still might decide to make their own decisions and, and, and kind of go their own way. But the feedback we got was that because that this is not as much of a time crunch thing as the basketball tournament tournament cancellation and, and pullout uh, was by, by the Ivies that, they didn't think that like they were going to automatically follow the Ivies this time, but it, I think you're right to, to pretend it has no impact is kind of silly. You know, I know one group of folks that are probably pretty happy they're going to be able to play some football this fall. It looks like would be mad. So, man, I hope I hope so. Uh, they need it. A lot of people need it. Um, I certainly encourage our listeners to support them, regardless of whether or not we have ball, um, and and they're going to have a challenging time and have had challenging times, but. Uh, Hopefully, this is a step in the right direction that we all get to, uh, you know, stand out and have a have a Reuben sandwich uh, or a Noel cast uh, Bloody Mary before going to a football game, uh, or at least maybe, you know, sitting there congregating and then watching it on TV as as the ability to attend is probably a whole other conversation at this point. But uh, whether it be a T-shirt order from afar, uh, going picking up lunch or takeaway carry out. Uh, any kind of support that you can continue to give our friends at Madso Township and all of the for the restaurant uh, for the table restaurant group properties is uh, extremely appreciated from Bud and myself. No doubt, man. Those guys are awesome. We really appreciate any support y'all can give them. So let, let's go ahead and get into why do these leagues think that conference only games is a solution? Like Ingram, this would mean cancel some games of, of teams that are real close to you just to go play some teams that are thousands of miles away just because they're in your, your league. Why, why would they decide to go conference only? Well, I think I, I referenced it a second ago uh, when you're talking a little bit more about knowing that you're going to. Now, look, I don't think Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, uh, things like that are worried that necessarily those programs are going to be operating on all this different of a financial footing. Uh, but if you're playing, I mean, look, a friend of mine's on the Georgia Southern staff. Their ability to test for this is much different than Florida State's, uh, just as an example. So I think it's, uh, you know, you, you have an idea at the very least that there's a lot more uniformity in uh, the way that these programs are approaching it, the resources that they have to deal with it. Uh, again, if you're in the ACC and you've got institutions like Boston College and Sanford, or Boston College and Syracuse, and you've got institutions like Miami and Florida State. That's you're not geographically limiting yourself by any means, uh, but I do think it's more tied to a level playing field as to the ability to test, the ability to monitor, and all of the resources that are necessary to try to go about this process. Yeah, and I also think like if these schools are reporting their testing results to their conference offices, that not that 
I, I don't want to think that that schools outside your league would misrepresent their testing results just so they could play games. But there are different schools and different financial footings, and I think if your league office has kind of control over the testing numbers, they can kind of certify who can and and can't play these games. The other part of this that I think is really big as far as like why would they decide to do this is specifically related to the flexibility of scheduling. If you're going to play conference-only games, we've seen the reports that these leagues are going to try to play, you know, 10 conference games, but they're, they're going to structure it in such a way to where they're playing their divisional games first, which tells me at a bare minimum, they want to try to get six conference games in over a 14-week stretch, which, and this is key here, I think if you were trying to play the whole season, the, the complexity uh, of organizing all these different leagues and schedules, and if you had to push back, do you have to push back everybody? You have to push back one team or two teams? Because look, there's going to be outbreaks this fall. Some teams are going to have to not play for a week or two. And I think if you were trying to go the whole enchilada, you would really have a problem. Like, How many times could you reasonably delay? Could you say, hey, we're going to put like, okay, we, we need to call this thing off for a month. We're going to bump from September to October. Yeah, I, I think you could do that. Could you then bump from October to November? Would you actually start the year in November? I, I just don't think there's any way you would do that. But here, you could. You really nailed on something there is that it gives you, look, I'm still pessimistic and I hate it. I don't like being this guy and I, I don't take any pleasure in this. I still have a lot of skepticism as to whether or not we get to play at all. Um, certainly I would prefer that, but I don't make a ton of money out of this, but it, it'll be a, you know, we'll feel it if we don't play football, I'll put it that way. But it does give you a level of flexibility with a, an all conference schedule that you just wouldn't or couldn't have otherwise. And, uh, it does give you some, uh, ability to kind of process hiccups in the system in a manner that you can't replicate under any other scheduling format. Exactly right. I think that just makes what they're doing here makes makes a whole lot of sense if you want to have total control. But also, I man, I got to tell you, like, I don't know what this is going to do to their TV revenue, right? Just as these leagues, like, do you think ESPN or Fox or CBS wants to pay full freight for maybe a six, eight, ten game season when normally they, they, they get to broadcast twelve? I kind of doubt it. But yet it tells me something that budget-wise, it is like their decision to go to this as opposed to pushing to spring, I, I think it really emphasizes the importance of getting that money in now. You know what I mean? Like they need the football dollars to come in now. Look, we're, we're sitting on the, the prefaces of some real nasty stuff in college athletics, and we're, and we're already going to see some of it regardless, all right? When, when, when Stanford, who's got just about as much money as any college out there, uh, is having to cut 11 college sports, then you kind of get an idea as to where this is going. You've seen uh, soccer programs get cut. You're going to see more revenue, particularly men's revenue sports, get cut. Uh, Bud and I've been pretty aggressive in talking about this for a couple of weeks and saying that this is, you know, the next year to two years is going to be a pretty transformative period in college athletics. And, and that's what we're talking about. Fall with no football is kind of a, a nuclear option uh, and, and would be, would do damage to these institutions that uh, is hard to really put into, into words. Look, Duke University has an endowment of $9 billion. Duke is, is going to be okay. 
talking to people who are familiar with that athletic program, they're still exceptionally concerned about some of the finances involved in college athletics right now. Uh, this is pervasive. It's across the board. It's not just uh, to smaller schools or, or mid-majors. Uh, there's a lot of people that are exceptionally concerned with the economic of collegiate sports right now. And uh, I think this is a, just another sign of the urgency uh, with which exists and, and the need to try to get these games in if at all possible. I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I also think it's, I don't think it completely rules out a spring, spring schedule, right? I, I just think that they looked at it and said, okay, we want to play in the fall. What is the most likely way that we could play in the fall? It would be with, with this conference-only schedule. I would look at today as an expression of want. You know, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean that this is for sure, but this is how uh, the powers that be see it as the most likely method of this taking place. And, uh, you know, when Bud and I are sitting here having this conversation, we're not, yes, right now we're speaking of it from a business perspective. Um, The last three podcasts we've done, we've talked at length about uh, some of the, you know, that this isn't just a business and some of the costs that can be associated to, to student athletes and some of the concerns that exist beyond just, you know, a spreadsheet and whether or not you end up in the red or the black. So I, I don't want people to think that we're just sitting here, you know, being callous and, and cold uh, in, in talking about this. We've certainly tried to acknowledge some of the other uh, kind of ingredients that are involved in, in this rather complex formula. I completely agree with you, man. I, I, I think that's, that's exactly what's going on. And, and I think we'll see other conferences probably follow suit. They almost have to, do they not? Do you mean the SEC or? Yeah, when you start to have these, when you, if you have three of the five P5s go to conference only, I don't, I'm skeptical as to how the SEC would be able to have a traditional schedule. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree because like if four of the five go, what the hell is the SEC going to do? Like there's no other conferences to play. I will note that, that the reason I asked you mean the SEC uh, I, I, I probably should have asked that in a better question. I do think there's a chance the G5s could push to spring, right? The G5s, I don't know if they can take 70% on the dollar for their TV deals. And at, as a ratio, the G5s, they make more of their money on student fees and on ticket sales and concessions, you know, as, as like related to the whole. Their TV contracts do not dwarf their attendance and you know season ticket sales stuff like like some of these leagues do. It would also like I think if I'm a TV network, I'm probably saying, "Hey G5, man, what the hell am I going to broadcast in spring?" You know what I mean? Like like let's let's go ahead and, and push back. That would be interesting to me. I, I mean, that would be different content. I you know it would not stay like that permanently. Uh, but I could certainly see the appeal in having uh, a unique spring football content when there's none otherwise ever, uh, you know, not any anything that's ever had any traction when you look at some of these alternate second leagues uh, from a professional standpoint. I, I would think that, uh, look, man, this is a football-crazy country, and if you can tell me on a Thursday night in April I can watch, uh, you know, Toledo play Western Michigan or something like that, that may be more traction to that than – that maybe people would originally um, originally acknowledge. Yeah, I, I also uh, I have a, a idea I'm working on. Um, a lot of these schools are going to get sued, right? The, these P5 schools for backing out of these contracts against uh, the G5 schools because they're they're going to they're going to claim force majeure and 
the argument like for the G5 schools is going to be, so you didn't really offer us a chance to show that we can comply with, with the testing standards that you want in place, right? Like we didn't, you didn't say, hey, will you do this? And we said no. And, and then you said, okay, pandemic. Uh, you just kind of did this unilaterally. That's not cool. And we want our money, right? And like that, that's how our athletic department survives. I think there's a chance that the NCAA might allow this to where like you could play an FCS game for your FCS team for your spring game and then pay them sort of a, you know, a little bit, le- little bit less money than the contract originally called for. But at the same time, it's not held up in court forever. That would be, that'd be pretty interesting to me because I, I don't think the NCAA, I think they'd be pretty cool with the waiver situation there. Just something, something to watch uh, for sure because there's a lot of canceled games here and we'll see if everybody jumps on the bandwagon with that. But something uh, everybody is jumping on the bandwagon though is legendary home loans. And you know, like 60 NOLCAST listeners have used Shannon Young and Chad to get their, their home loan or their refi. 60, dude, that, that's a lot. We send these t-shirts out almost every day, I feel like, which is, which is pretty awesome. Just got a couple more in the mail today. The reason is great rates, great customer service, flexibility, the ability to get financing from a number of different sources and, and, and options. It's, it's the total package. Be, make a legendary choice. Give Shannon a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844 844- FSU loan. And so with that, let's, let's get into the, the specific impact here on, on Florida State. Okay. So uh, if you've been listening to the Nolcast, you are um, banging, banging everybody over the head about our own specific skepticism about the two non-conference games. That would appear to be immediately taken off the table. Um, we don't know the exact details of the Boise game. We do know that the West Virginia game, you were, you were to collect a check somewhere in the area of four and a half to $5 million. That's a big damn deal. We had our own skepticism as to how that game was going to take part if it was. Uh, and, and that's another story for another day. The monetary impact of, of losing that game is massive, particularly for Florida State's uh, athletic department, and particularly during this kind of window and time to which they're already having a little bit of a tough time making the books balanced and absorbing an $18 million buyout last year was, uh, was not something they had planned on. So yeah, $4.5 million is a, is a big, big mess. It is. Plus, you know, whatever, uh, whatever additional TV stuff that, that might come from that. And uh, if they get any kind of, I don't think they get a cut of, uh, of parking or anything like that at Arthur Blank uh, Stadium. But that's, that's a pretty big deal, man. Um, you know, you also lose... Your home game against Florida, you lose a pretty fun road trip against Boise, which I think we, like you mentioned, we we, we all could could have probably seen coming, uh, as Boise has recently suspended workouts, and you know that's that's not unique among college football right now. Ohio State just suspended workouts, UNC just suspended workouts, and then you of course you you lose your uh, your fourth game on the schedule there as well. Um, but I got to tell you, man, you all, and look, that sucks to lose those, especially the Florida game. Like, that, that's your rivalry, you know? And I think, it, like, a lot of people were, were excited to go out to Boise. Um, and, like, pre-COVID stuff, I was planning on going out there. And Atlanta, I was certainly going <laughs> to, you know, we were both going to be at that one. But, man, if you want to find a bright spot in this, and it's hard, but we can do it. Your most likely record, I think, in those four non-conference games was going to be two and two, right? You probably split Boise, West Virginia, 
you lose against Florida, you beat the cupcake. If you're in the camp that you think Mike Norvell wins seven or eight games in year one against the full schedule, that kind of means you have him going five and three or six and two in the ACC. And five and three or six and two, everybody's playing eight conference games, which you know we'll get about we'll talk about in a minute. That doesn't look that bad for a first year head coach who we really think should be considered year zero. And I'm 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 even more on board with that stance than I've ever been, given all the all the stuff going on right now and the lack of abilities had to be with his team. Your record's gonna look better, I think, if you play conference only games this year. It it certainly depends on you know where those other games come from, uh, as far as the the offerings in the coastal. Um, maybe Notre Dame, although I don't I don't think Florida State would get paired with Notre Dame, at least from from our understanding of the situation right now. Look, if you get Georgia Tech, I think you probably beat Georgia Tech. Uh, if you get Duke, probably beat Duke. Uh, UNC, that's a toss-up, if not uh, in the other direction. Uh, UVA, probably the same thing as UNC. And then Virginia Tech, I don't, I don't, I'd get your opinion on the Virginia Tech game. But, um, yeah, I, I think you're – Slightly more likely to have success in that list of games than you were uh, the traditional non-cons that we talked about, but uh, it's it's not as though you're necessarily putting in you know guaranteed Ws either. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that for sure. I mean, it, to your point, in an ideal situation, I'm not convinced this happens, but like the other leagues seem to want to play ten conference games now. The Big, the Big Ten wanting to play 10 conference games is interesting because that's only a plus-one situation because they already play a nine-game conference schedule. With the ACC wanting to play 10, that, like you said, you, you would add two. So, you know, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, UVA, Duke, UNC, VT, et cetera. Man, I, I think they would ha- almost have to give you Georgia Tech just because it's, it's close by. But I'm not convinced you ever get to play those games. You know what I mean? Like, I could see us playing eight. I could certainly see us playing the six divisional games. Ten might be best case scenario. If you want to go pie in the sky, best case scenario could be maybe holding out hope that you still get to play that UF game. You know, they're they're both in conferences that are going to have a high standard of testing. Maybe they're allowed to like because you're not playing Notre Dame. Maybe the the ACC says, "Hey, we're going to play nine conference games plus whoever y'all like." Eight of y'all who play Notre Dame, and the other six of y'all can uh, can play your traditional SEC game if you're not already playing Notre Dame this year, or whatever. You could certainly see the SEC and the ACC coordinating. I mean, look, you got Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Florida, South Carolina, Clemson. Uh, you have three games there at the end of the season that uh, are traditionally have taken place at the end of the season. Maybe they would be moved. Another element to this, bud, and I don't want to lose people uh, and drown you in a bunch of details, but there are state-specific travel restrictions that exist right now. And so the idea of maybe putting some of these games where you're not having to travel states um, at the front of the schedule would be wise. If you're living by the law of the land and the state that they live in, Boston College and Syracuse are going to have a real hard time scheduling games at the front part of the schedule. You know, I would not be surprised to see them play each other immediately um, and then maybe Pitt to be involved as well. But a lot of these states in the Northeast, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, uh, New Jersey, are have, again, it's not necessarily a mandate, but it's a recommendation 
uh, about quarantine when traveling to, uh, to <laughs> some of the states that we happen to be uh, located in currently. So um, that's just another wrinkle in the formula and something to think about when, when uh, these schedules are, are put together. This is something that we know you have been hearing from your sources that this is a bigger issue than those of us in the kind of more traditional media have been talking about. Like this is going to be a really complicating factor for them in putting together these schedules. It's going to be really tough. It, it again, it brings up an issue that if you don't live by these guidelines, you're almost classifying student athletes as essential labor, which again, uh, we're not going to spend 10 minutes talking about this. It's just something that has to be considered. I can tell you it is being considered um, at some of these schools and uh, it's something to have in the back of your mind when you look at these schedules. So we just talked about best case scenario. It'd be great if you could play Florida and, and maybe play Georgia Tech as well. But Ingram, it's, it's not always the best case scenario. And, and if, if you're going through an issue where, where you require a family law attorney, you want to get one who's really good. You want to get one who is board certified. That's pretty rare in the state of Florida. Only 280 out of about 110,000 lawyers in the state of Florida have that board certified family law cert. And our sponsor, Travis Johnson, he's one of those. Travis, with over a decade of experience in family law, he wants to make the best case scenario out of what's probably you know a, not a great scenario that, that you're calling him about, most likely. You can hit Travis up, 850-435-9919. And when you go to him, you can be confident you're going to be in good hands. Again, it's 850-435-9919. Travis has cases throughout the state, from small to multi-million dollar divorces, if that's your thing. Again, 850-435-9919. And for Nolcast listeners, Travis is offering a free initial consult and also flexible payment rates because he knows during, during this COVID era, uh, things can be complicated. And, and he's there to really make the best solution for you. And with that, let's get back into, uh, into the show. And we have some questions from our Patreon listeners. Uh, we asked for questions, got a whole bunch of them, and we picked the ones that are relevant uh, to tonight's show. And if you ask some questions that are uh, maybe not relevant to tonight's show, we will be getting to those uh, in a future episode. So let's end tonight with, what do we have, five or six here, I think? Yeah, yeah. It has a larger response as we've had uh, since doing that. So thank you again to our Patreon. It's been fantastic and have uh, really given us some fantastic content to kind of uh, bounce around in our own ideas and, and try to make sense of on the podcast. Uh, we have two questions from Megan tonight. Uh, Megan asks, uh, heard this on another podcast. Let's say your QB tests positive uh, with no symptoms, but has to quarantine. And he's been in the QB room with your only other QBs. Does that mean you're without a quarterback? Uh, do you think teams will potentially do Zoom meetings this year to avoid a situation like this? Man, Megan is just on the ball about this. It's an excellent question. Uh, so number one, yes, they will uh, continue to use Zoom meetings during the year. Number two, I've actually been told that like, they're going to try to minimize the time where everybody from one position is together. For instance, a lot of times you work out with other members of your position at some schools. And right now, that's, that's not happening. Okay? It, it's like you're not having all of your offensive linemen together or all your quarterbacks or DBs together specifically for this position. Because if you lose 10 guys off your team, that's a blow. If you lose 10 guys at one position, that's kind of crippling. And then you have to do something pretty crazy. The key here is to split them up if you can. The other key is like, you need to keep testing. If you have one of your quarterbacks who tests positive, uh, 
part of like the only way this really works is if we have rapid testing results. You know, if if the quarterback comes back positive on a Friday, uh, and the other quarterbacks in that room who got tested at the same time, if they come back negative, they're playing. All right, like they're going to go with 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 that most recent test. I, I don't think just because you had some exposure to them uh, means you have to sit out if you have a test around that time that comes back negative. Now, there may be some schools that elect to do that, but guys, let's be real here. They're trying to play college football season during the pandemic. If you get a negative test, you're probably going to be on the field unless you say you don't want to play. You disagree? Uh, No, no, I agree 100%. Megan's second question is, what is the latest you're hearing on fans in the stands? Um, Megan, I'll just be real candid with you and our listeners. About two weeks ago, I was testing texting with who I consider to be the best sense of source of information that I have at Florida State. And I was texting with him like, uh, you know, my understanding is that the max max attendance you may be seeing for conference play somewhere between 10 and 20,000. And his response is, I think you expect 10 to 20,000 more than there will be. So uh, that was two weeks ago before we've had, quite honestly, worse uh, news when it comes to the likelihood of people being able to attend a public sporting outing. I know that there had been some talks about having people sign waivers, and I would not remove that from the table. Uh, but as of right now, if there's fall football, I don't expect there to be fall football and people in the stands. I don't know if you know this, but uh, I'm head of podcasts at 24-7 Sports. Uh, I know you know it, but I don't know if the audience knows that. So I have to listen to a lot of podcasts, right? It's a big part of what I do. So uh, the South Carolina AD recently talked about uh, maybe 10 to 20% capacity in the stadium uh, is what they think mathematically they could achieve if they had social distancing in the stadium. I know Phil Fulmer for Tennessee has recently said they're still working on plans, uh, plans here uh, to have full capacity. However, they are also working on a lot of plans that do not involve anywhere near close to full capacity and, of course, plans that have uh, no capacity. I, I picked that up listening to some podcasts recently. If I gave you over under 10,000 fans in the stands for Florida State this fall, like per game, not total, you taking under? Yeah, I'm taking under. I am. All right, so remove yourself from head of podcasting in the uh, – illustrious career in media that you've been able to carve out for yourself. <laughs> Would you be interested in attending a college football game with 9,000 people at it, bud? Let's see. So it's outdoors. I, I don't even mean from a health perspective per se. I mean, look, I, I, I would love to see Florida State play, and, and Lord knows I hope they do. I, I don't know that attending a, an almost empty stadium is particularly appealing to me, and, and I'm not even really factoring in you know, some of the, some of the health concerns or, or that, you know, may or may not be there with an outdoor sporting event. I think it's hard to separate the health concerns. You know what I mean? Um, and it would be a really, I, if there weren't health concerns and the cap was 10,000, I, I would definitely go. Right. Cause it'd be like, damn, like this is something I could tell my kids about, you know, that like I went to one of these games back when, you know, it's almost like you could say, Hey, you know, that guy in that famous Georgia tech photo for the, for the flu of 1918. You know, like, like, Hey, de- yeah, that's your grandfather. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like for me, it's, it's hard to separate the health concerns out. You know, I, there's people in my family who are, are you know, compromised. Um, I was at an event a couple of weeks ago before our, our, you know, travel got shut down for work. 
it was outdoors. I, I wore a mask, um, and it certainly did not have 10,000 people at it. It had throughout the course of the day, a couple hundred, and they were in groups of, you know, like 20, right? And we were pretty spaced out on a field. And for the most part, there was nobody anywhere near me uh, for, you know, most of the day, right? Uh, like I wasn't interviewing kids. I was, I was just filming the event and, and observing. I don't know, would, would you go? Like, would you want to go? Like, like how, much, how much does it factor into you? I think I'm being jaded. I think I'm also factoring in a five-hour drive. I just, I look, I, I go to college football games because they're fun as hell and they're great to see friends of mine and, you know, having numerous beers and going and watching Florida State plays is one of the best things that happens in my life. I would love to do that. When Duskin Hopkins hits a 55-yard field goal to beat Clemson, I want to slap my best friend in the face and jump around like a moron with him or whatever, you know? Uh, I just don't know that watching a college football game in a big kind of circular bubble is all that. Uh, to me, I would probably stay on my couch and watch it. Uh, just me personally. You know, hopefully that's a, a situation where people can can make that decision. And uh, look, if I'm living in Thomasville, Georgia, and I've got a 25-minute ride to the stadium, I probably look at this very differently than I do uh, from, from my own perspective. It makes sense. If they say 10,000 people can come, they will have 30,000 that want to go. And they're going to be turned away. There's a... Sh- so many people who would go. 100% in complete agreement there. Yeah. If they say one person can go, there'll be thirty to 40,000 that want to go immediately. Uh, we, we completely agree there. Christian asks, uh, does this conference-only scheduling announcement mean that uh, we are only playing our current ACC schedule or will we be adding coastal teams to replace the four lost games? Uh, so we kind of we hit on that. Uh, I think some of the reports out there say the ACC would like to play 10, uh, which would mean adding two. Uh, conference games, so that would that that basically covers that again. In order of the things, I think that would happen, they would front load the schedule. So you're going to play your six divisional games first, and then you would play any remaining games that you already had on your schedule in, within the conference. And then I think your last possible two would, would be the two bonus games. the The whole key here is they want to be able to get get their check from ESPN, ABC for their ACC championship game. And so in order to do that, you need to make sure everybody plays their divisional games. You know, so you can say, hey, we played six games. We, we can go to the ACC title game um, because they want to be able to put Clemson or whoever in the playoff because you get your money from that too. Let's see. Mr. Santosh writes with Stanford eliminating, uh, Stanford eliminating 11 of 36 varsity sports teams. Are we looking at similar trends across uh, the broader NCAA schools? Any chatter on the Florida State front? He's got a second part of the question here, but why don't we address this one if it's uh, not entirely or at all particularly related to the first one. Yeah, um, we mentioned this earlier. I think App State cut soccer a couple days ago. Um, that's, that's something you're going to see. I mean, I would, if I was wanting to play collegiate sports uh, on scholarship for cross-country, soccer, wrestling, you, if you can think of any other ones like this, let me know. But tennis, I would be worried about the viability of that uh, in the next two to three years. And, and if that's going to be there in the manner that it has at all over the past couple of decades. I spoke with somebody tonight who's an administrator and he, he said, look, I don't think we're going to see any FBS schools cutting football this year. I do think we're going to see some 
FCS programs. So this is not G5. This is FCS to be specific here, right? So like the old D1 AA and certainly some D2 schools not have football and not come back from it. At the D1 level, I do think that we will see some schools cut some sports like Stanford has, like you, know, you, you, already, you mentioned a couple other examples earlier. There's no doubt about it. Any chatter on the FSU front? I haven't heard any specific programs being cut. There, there were some there were reports today about some FSU staff, uh, FSU booster, you know, some ticket sales people uh, getting furloughed or, or, or getting laid off, um, and that, that that sucks to see. Obviously, it's happening, you know, kind of everywhere. I, I think if you don't have football this fall, you're going to see a lot of programs furloughing staff, and I think you or a lot, a lot of schools furloughing staff. Uh, for extended periods. And if you don't have football this fall, I do think you will see some D1 schools uh, cut who you maybe didn't expect to cut some, some sports. And uh, would you be surprised if Florida State cut sports if, if football didn't come through? No, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think it's appropriate for us to speculate as to what sports. Because uh, well, I haven't heard any, so I'm not just going to like randomly guess. I haven't heard any either. Um, I just know some of the broader national trends. Uh, and I think Florida State feels like it's in a decent place uh, financially in the athletic department. Yeah, they're, they're, that could be put into play pretty quickly, in my opinion. But to an extent, I would think Florida State might be lucky if we look back in two years and they haven't had to cut a sport. Stephen Jordan asked a question. What exactly are the rules regarding visits right now? I saw people posting about now a top offensive line recruit was on campus this week. Yes, that was wonderful to see. And the expectation is that another offensive line recruit will be on campus soon. I thought nobody was allowed to visit uh, schools right now. Is that true? Or have there been some loopholes that schools can exploit to get around the visit restrictions? Uh, Sure. So, Stephen, good question. Um, You cannot visit with the coaches of a school. You cannot go in the buildings of the school. Like if I'm, if I'm a five-star recruit named, I don't know, Tristan Lee, right. And I'm a big offensive tackle guy and I want to see a bunch of schools throughout the Southeast. And I want to check out, you know, Georgia and Bama and Miami and Florida and Florida state, et cetera. I can go to these schools. Uh, I can call the coaches and I can have a Zoom call with them while I'm on campus. I can kind of lead me on like a Zoom tour of the campus. I just can't have any, any physical contact with them. Uh, I can't meet with them. We're actually in a dead period right now. So like they can't even like talk to me in, in person at all. So they can't open up the window of their office there in the Moore Center and yell down to me. Uh, that, that stuff's just, just not allowed. But Florida State's a public space. And so the campus is not like closed to anybody visiting. You can go and drive around. Uh, there's no, like, you know, there's not classes going on on campus right now. But yeah, that that's that's what's going on. Uh, we saw Mike Malinsky do it, the, uh, the center out of Jacksonville, uh, whose dad, I believe, is the strength coach for, for the Jaguars. That's, that's what's going on there. Uh, as to, like, whether you're able to get, get Lee or, or get Amarius Mims, the, the other guy, uh, who, who Steven's talking about. Uh, no, I, I don't think so, but it, it does uh, speak well of Alex Atkins' recruiting ability. I think the guy uh, has a pretty good job recruiting uh, and, and connecting with offensive line recruits right now. I'm sure he wishes there were just some better like second-tier offensive tackles this year. There's a couple very notable studs out there, and then I think there's a decent drop-off 
to like your other candidates. And that sucks for Florida State because Florida State's not going to get the studs. And I'm sure they wish there just wasn't quite as big of a drop-off in the quality of talent. I, I know he didn't ask me about that, uh, but that's just something I've been thinking about in recent days, uh, and I thought I would share it. Uh, by the way, sneak preview of something we have coming up. The defensive ends class nationally for 22, freaky good, man. Like That was the position I was assigned to do in our latest uh, recruiting rankings, and you'll see those come out on 24-7 Sports next week for the class of 2022. And I felt like such a homer doing these. I'm like, man, do we need to have like six or seven DNs in our top 30? All these dudes are studs. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I don't think you're going to get those guys. That is how that is how they're doing it. It's not a Florida State-specific thing. A lot of schools out there are doing it. And uh, obviously, they just can't have any contact with them. They can't meet with anybody on campus. It's literally just come see the campus. Uh, and the question I almost deleted from the sheet on accident comes to us from Derek Blevins. And Derek says, uh, in the event uh, the start of the season is delayed until the spring of 21, how would this impact the recruiting calendar? Would there be delays regarding the early signing period and or national signing day? What other changes would you expect to see regarding recruiting in this scenario? I assume recruits wouldn't be able to take official visits to campus if the season is delayed. Oh boy. Yeah, this is a lot. Um, I'm going to give you kind of some highlights because this answer could easily be 30 minutes. Okay. I don't think that they would totally eliminate early signing day necessarily because the stated purpose of early signing day is to allow kids who've already made up their minds to end the recruiting process and basically enjoy the Christmas, you know, like December holiday season without being bombarded by texts and calls and, and DMs from coaches. Uh, so, from that standpoint, if you're a kid who already knows where he wants to go and he's ready, go ahead and sign. Ideally, the NCAAs would, would say most kids are probably not ready at that point. They should wait and sign during the regular signing day period, which, which is February, which still exists, even though about 80-some percent do sign early. If I was running the NCAA to protect the kids, I would probably eliminate early signing period this year because I do think that, look, it's always the kids' first time signing. And I think that schools will probably pressure these kids into signing early. And that sucks for the kid because they're probably not going to make an informed uh, decision. And that's not a Florida State thing or not. It's just in general. So that, that's something to consider right there. No, I don't think you'd be allowed to take officials in the fall if campuses are, are, are closed, if, if we're still in, in a dead period. They haven't made any announcements uh, about extending the dead period really uh, into like the fall season, but it, it definitely runs through August now. The other thing is like a lot of these states, I shouldn't say a lot. Some of these states are not going to be playing football in the fall at the high school level. The high schools almost certainly do not have the ability to have testing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like if, if FCS programs can't afford this, there's a lot of high schools that can't afford rapid testing and a lot of testing. Like, like the testing costs are huge. I could totally see them pushing back signing day to, I don't know, April. And that, that's what I would probably do is basically, hey, if you're going to early enroll, go ahead and do so. If not, we're going to give all these schools a better opportunity to actually see you, meet you, visit with you, you visit with them. You actually like get to meet your recruiters in person for the first time ever. Some of these kids have committed to these schools never, never having visited, never having met the coaches, right? Like, 
I was going through Minnesota's recruiting list today for a project I'm working on. They only have two kids from the state of Minnesota. And I, I kind of doubt that their coaches have met some of their prospects from Texas and Oklahoma and Georgia and, and all this. Maybe they have, but you probably haven't seen them in person very many times. It's not like you can go visit Minnesota during this pandemic and actually meet anybody. I would basically say, if you are an early enrollee and you know where you're going, go ahead and early enroll. If not, let's wait until basically you know, the spring high school football season is over, which is going to be played in some states. And then that'll allow recruits and coaches to make a more informed decision. Um, I have no idea if that would happen or not, but that's kind of how I think uh, I would play it if I could. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're probably as, as good of a person in the country to answer a question like that. And uh, we're fortunate to be able to to lean on you uh, when, when subject matter like that comes up. And uh, the high school scene is one to watch. It's going to be a real challenge. And it's going to make, uh, you know, I would say, uh, you know, obviously, look, and if, you, if you're looking at a MIMS, you're looking at one of these best kids in the country, evaluation's done. You know how good they are. But for a broader pool of prospects, Man, I could see as much hit and miss uh, evaluating that's that's ever taken place when it comes to some of these kids. Um, you know, kids kids that are seventeen and kids that are eighteen sometimes play the sport of football at an entirely different level. You have a lot of kids that emerge late uh, in their senior year, and um, for some of these schools that kind of have to live on on kind of the proverbial fringe, I, I I have a lot of empathy for them when trying to evaluate kids based on solely off junior and sophomore tape. And like, also you got to consider the, the inequality is not the right word here, but just the kind of random imbalance. Uh, like some of these States have had big time camps where the companies that put on these camps have the height and weight data and the testing data that they've sold to schools already, you know, and a lot, most schools subscribe to these, like you know, these services, but some of these States haven't had camps. Like I don't have any verified times and, and data on the kids from like the Northeast or large parts of Texas. I mean, there are gaps in this data this year, man, that are big. Now, we've had three big camps in the state of Florida, plus, plus the, the, the rivals camps, which obviously I don't, I don't go to because they only allow rivals employees to go. But I, I think they even get the data from that and, and, and schools get their hands on that. So the guys in Florida, for the most part, if you've been to a camp, like schools have data on how big you are, how fast you are, how big your hands are, that, that, that kind of like what, what your testing numbers are. I'm sitting here wondering how big is this guy from Texas really? Is he 240 or is he 280? Because his trainer is telling me he's 280. I basically want to say like, hey, like send me a video of this kid stepping on a scale. It's tough. There's that, that offensive tackle from uh, from West Texas, who, who Florida State has some interest in. I mean, if I don't know how tall he is, I, I kind of doubt they know exactly. You know? Like, if he's 6'6", or if he's got, like, like a 6'6 wingspan, maybe they offer. If he's a guard, maybe they don't. There's a, there's a ton of uncertainty out there right now. It's, it's very difficult. Well, uh, that is our best attempt to... Uh you know, do a podcast and, and give you an idea as to where we are on the evening of July 9th. Uh, you know, certainly some some significant developments have taken place over the last 24 hours. Uh, we'll continue to uh, try to keep our listening base as up-to-date as possible in the process and try to give you an idea as to the ramifications 
of, uh, of how this, you know, how all the alterations that have taken place uh, could impact this in as many ways possible. But, but uh, not exactly an instant reaction podcast, like I said at the top, but certainly a, uh, a singular focus. And hopefully our listeners will uh, enjoy this to the extent that is possible. Yes, sir, man. Enjoyed it. And we will talk to you all next time. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.